Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 71, Electric Xenos Motor Glider. So this episode is a little different. We've been talking with Gabe DeVault. Gabe is an innovative aircraft builder. He's currently flying an electric ultralight. He has probably more time flying under electric power than almost everybody else flying that type of airplane. He's currently working on an electric Xenos project. So he bought a Xenos. It was partially built and he brought it back to his hangar in California and has been working on grafting on an electric power system from a donor electric motorcycle. This is a commercial off-the-shelf product, and he is harvesting the electronic components, the battery, the control system, the motor, all that kind of stuff, and then installing it in his Xenos. Gabe is doing some fantastic work, and and really, uh, you're going to hear his credentials. He's really a very smart guy, and he is the right person to be tackling this project. So did not intend on doing this podcast quite like this. The idea was Gabe is doing some really cool stuff. We want to talk to him and get it. So we intended to have a full sit down podcast, but a target of opportunity presented itself to sit down with Gabe on Skype and have a conversation. So I'm going to play that conversation now. My apologies to John and Gary. This all happened so rapidly, we just didn't have enough time to bring us all together to do a normal podcast episode. So, with no further introduction, let's play the conversation that Gabe and I had about the Electric Xenos project. Yeah, nice to meet you. Nice, uh, nice, pl- nice plane you built there. Uh, gives me something to aspire to. Oh, thank you. So, how far along are you in the in the build? Um, I think that, you know you saw some pictures online there. Uh, um, so basically, I bought a partially complete kit um, getting close to a year ago, like a month ago now or something. Um, and I've just been kind of noodling away uh, at it uh, in my free time, which is not nearly as much as I'd like to. Um, so yeah, basically I bought it. The wings and tail were, or excuse me, wings and fuselage were sort of together. Um, so I finished, finished them off, uh, put the tail on. Um, and then just over the last month or so, I got pretty serious about, um, you know, pulled the engine mount off, chopped it up and welded up a new, uh, steel, uh, motor mount, you know, on the electric aircraft, it's actually a, uh, motor mount, battery mount, controller mount. So it's a bit, bit more stuff goes up there and, um, I had to rebuild it to fit all the all the new parts, but it's probably four times as strong as it needs to be. Um, it's much heavier than the original part, but I figure if there's a if there's a part that you want to be overbuilt and strong, it's the thing that holds in the wings to the fuselage. So, uh, or and then the landing gear, excuse me, to the fuselage. So, um, yeah, and it's cool because it's actually a firewall forward conversion oh. and. Uh, I hope that it becomes something that other Sonics builders uh, are interested in. 
you know. So thinking of it in terms of firewall forward, the the mount, the batteries, the associated control hardware, and the motor itself is that still within the same two hundred pound uh, firewall forward limit that Sonic sets, or do you think it goes over that slightly? Uh, it's approximately uh, the the entire kit: battery, motor, controller, redrive. Everything is about two hundred and fifty pounds. Okay. Um, and a big chunk of that is the battery, which is 180 pounds, and that is pushed right up against the firewall. So that's not cantilevered out in the structure, and um, hopefully brings the you know the CG of the entire assembly back relative to where the engine would normally be. Uh, additionally, I pulled out the gas tank, which is like, like another almost 20 pound uh, chunk up up you know under the canopy there. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good. That's a as near of an apples to apples swap, you know, weight wise as you can really kind of hope for. I think. Yeah, I think so. Also, um, especially when you consider the weight of the fuel itself, um, which is almost a hundred pounds, right? Full full fuel. Um, so, as a matter of fact, I believe that this conversion compared to a fully fueled uh, aircraft, you actually lose uh, you know thirty, forty, fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, once you burn that fuel off, then, then I am heavier, but um, but not by much. Um, and the power should be pretty equivalent. This is a 60 kilowatt uh, drive system, which is, you know, 80, 75 to 80 horsepower, um, which is probably, you know, compared to the um, other engines that are on there. I mean, internal combustion engines are always, you know, rated in horsepower. And then what they actually deliver uh, varies day by day, right? Right. Yeah, the electric gives you, you know, you actually have a a reading on the display that tells you exactly what you're delivering. And my um, ultralight system, the Eagle has a a 45 kilowatt system and it puts out a honest 45 kilowatts. Um, One thing to be clear on is that uh, these are peak powers, which it will happily do. And I have data logs to, to show that it will do that. Uh, but it, you're, you can't maintain it indefinitely. Your thermal, you know, your temperatures of your different components will climb. Um, but it's still enough to rip you off the ground in a hurry, and then you can throttle back to a, a more reasonable uh, continuous power setting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there really there's kind of two main avenues of inquiry when you're talking about doing this. You know, one is the structural and airframe integration, and the other one is the performance. And um, I think people, sometimes they, they tend to focus on the performance aspect first. And although I, I think that's important, that certainly determines how practical it's going to be at the end. Um, you you kind of have to start with, you know, is this going to be a good match for the structure? Or does it require, you know, a major redistribution of materials and weights and all that? And uh, so that's why, you know, my, my first question was just trying to understand where the weight is and how it's positioned. And it sounds like... It sounds like a perfect setup, but I don't think you could get any better um, as a way to just sort of swap one for the other. So, yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I I looked around a lot, you know, um, for, uh, you know, conversion suitable aircraft. And the Ultralight, the Eagle, is a fantastic platform. Um, it's very efficient. 
Uh, it was originally designed as a two-seater, so the weight, basically with any two-seat aircraft, if you want to convert it to electric, you can just put the battery where the other person would go, and it just sort of works out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the Eagle was fantastic, but for me, it just, you know, it's an ultralight, which means you can't fly it into all the airports and airspaces and things that, that you might want to go. And two, I wanted a, a two-seater, so I can take my my wife or friends, uh, you know, for rides and a single seater feels like a somewhat selfish endeavor, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so it's interesting. Put down anyone flying single seaters, but uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Sonics had said, you know, way back when they were doing their electric YX project, that um, the the YX was just sort of a, a demonstrator. It was a it was a way for them to kind of get their head wrapped around the problems that needed to be solved and to experiment with different things and to prove that ultimately it was a viable concept going forward. And then their priorities changed. You know, they had some things and um, they they just sort of backburnered the project and have been on other stuff now. But they had said right from the start that they didn't think the YX was the perfect configuration to fly under electric power. They said, what we really ought to do is take a Xenos and, you know, modify it a little bit. Maybe trim it a little. You know, you're, you're focusing a little less on your soaring performance and you're looking for, you know, just some things that might make it more suitable for... Uh, for like a motor glider type of use. And uh, I think that this might, you know, your success might kind of reinvigorate that whole project, you know, kind of get it back into the front of their minds and say, okay, maybe now it's the time, you know, at, at the eight years ago when they were working on it, uh, they did not have a really good solution for an off the shelf motor battery combination. And so they were designing their own motors. They were doing their own controllers. They put a lot of time and R and D into that. But, um, and now, you know, the state of the available technology has advanced significantly from where they left off. Might be time to circle back and give it another look. Yeah. I actually visited, um, John Monet and, uh, Mark, uh, when I was the, I, I went to the factory, yeah, about a year ago, um, before I purchased this one, and you know they were they were very interested and supportive uh, of the project, um, but they're resource constrained right now, especially with the uh, the jet. I forgot the name the the two seat jet that they're releasing right now. Um, so they just really didn't have much um, to offer me, and in, in you know, in terms of because uh, I really wanted to work with them on uh, doing it as a, like a sort of a factory option, right? So that it, I'm hoping that basically once this comes out, that it can be something that they would adopt and maybe even offer because basically all it requires is a welded, uh, you know, uh, motor mount structure that, that accommodates these new parts and a donor bike. And that's basically it. It just goes together. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to run some cables into the fuselage and stuff, but um, it's, it's a really turnkey uh, type of solution. Um, I can see the difference, you know, so, so the Xenos itself, I think in terms of duration, um, and flight efficiency is a fantastic, uh, platform. And basically I'm expecting to meet or exceed my, uh, Eagle ultralight performance. Um, but as a two seater, uh, and as a legal two seater. <clears throat> so that means, um, something in the neighborhood of, I'm hoping to, to get around an hour and a half duration mm -hmm. um but that is at you know optimum cruise speeds which is like 65 70 miles an hour so even though you're flying for an hour hour and a half you know you're still barely going to do 100 miles um, which is 
you know, marginal for true practical application, but but great for just getting up and soaring and having, you know, some fun. Um, and uh, uh, my plant, so that's the current configuration, which uses a single zero motorcycles, uh, what they call the 14.4 battery, which is a, uh, you know, air quotes, maximum capacity number that they provide. Um, the, the real uh, usable energy out of that is something like 12, 12 and a half kilowatt hours. Um, now my hope is that, um, so basically I'm going to put it all together as is, and this is going to be sort of the baseline config. Um, my hope is that the, all, you know, I haven't weighed the airframe yet. I haven't weighed all the you know, components completely individually. Uh, so my hope is that I will have enough gross, uh, weight margin to put in additional battery. So just as a standard offering, zero motorcycles allows you to do what they call the power tank option, which basically allows you to parallel another another battery into the system. So that's that's an off-the-shelf part that you know you can buy the harness and a battery, and now you have two batteries. And you can size that uh, anything from uh, uh, what they call a single brick, about 3.7 kilowatt hours, up to a whole other 14.4 uh, battery, depending on you know what you wanted to do. Um, there's a a version of that that's called the long brick, which is two of the small bricks, which is 7.2 kilowatt hours, which is what um, I'd like to do work where basically I I'm hoping that I can take that battery, pretty much put it under behind the seat. That'll get me north of 20 kilowatt hours um, and put the duration over two hours and uh, real world range at something like 150 miles. Um, so to, so to me, that that begins to become an actually like real practical aircraft. I live here in the uh, Santa Cruz Mountains uh, Bay Area. And, you know, that means I could fly from, you know, my local airport, Watsonville Airport to, you know, basically anywhere in the Bay Area and back without recharging. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to some of the other Xenos guys and um, and find out how much power it requires for them just to cruise in level flight. You know, not not looking for a you know a high speed cruise, but closer to your best glide speed. You know, what is the power, the steady state power requirement, and then use that to kind of factor back into your equations. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the bummer from gas power is that, that all you can ever do is sort of best guess, right? Right. right. Um, whereas electric, you know exactly to the like you know tenth of a kilowatt you know, how much uh, energy you're, you know, you're putting in it or power you're putting in the, the propeller. So it's actually a really neat uh, development tool. And if you're kind of an aero nerd, you know, like when you're uh, setting your prop pitch or choosing a propeller or fairing little bits of your airplane and playing with your cooling setup, there's just a lot of, you know, kind of thumb in the air guesswork involved. Um, but when you have electric, it's just like you run a data log and you know exactly, uh, you know, what, what you're putting into it. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, I'm a big nerd like that. So I, you know, my Eagle, I put a couple different propellers on it. I probably changed the pitch 30 times, you know, and I did all kinds of stuff. Um, and I have, you know, real world data to, to back up all of the, uh, you know, all of the changes I've made. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. So, yeah, I think the uh, I think the Xenos is really an ideal platform for, and it's actually what I want. I mean, I like soaring. Um, you know, I've, I've never actually owned a glider. I've done glider rides, and I've done paragliding and RC uh, soaring and stuff. So I think um, 
it's really, I think, ideal for me where I'll be able to go, you know, f- commute around like I can commute to work. I, I live next to one airport and work at the other. So I'll be able to actually fly to work and back, be able to use it for, um, you know, just uh, soaring around in the, in the mountains around here. There's some good soaring. I'll be able to use it semi-practically, you know, to fly from here to the Bay Area. Um, I hope to fly down to like L.A., uh, you know, which in theory can maybe do with just one or potentially two uh, charge stops. Uh, I'm working with a number of people on establishing a charge network. So I think this is we're at this precipice of uh, electric aviation now where it's starting to become technologically viable. Um, and the next part really becomes, well, you know, how do you charge? I mean, I, I can't imagine many people are going to buy electric airplanes, uh, you know, with any, with any sort of practical application without um, knowing that there's a charge network. So I think that that's a big uh, thing that, that as a, uh, you know, community, aviation community, we really got to focus on. Uh, but my airplane comes with a, um, again, just leveraging the zero motorcycles parts. There's a, another component they call the charge tank. So it has a six kilowatt uh, automotive charge style charger, a J1772 plug. So what I'm going to uh, advocate for is, uh, you know, but at the minimum 14, what, what's called a 1450 style NEMA plug, which is a 220 50 amp plug, a very common, you know, dryer plug style style um or all the way up to installing these uh uh j-plug chargers um at some of the local airports and you know i mean if I've, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback uh you know basically we're going to put one in at hollister any day now uh watsonville airport has been pretty supportive um and kind of what happened was i was about ready to just start putting these in personally and then i thought you know i really should try to you know, work with the EAA or, you know, some organization and make this like, you know, an official, you know, effort. Um, mm-hmm. And I just unfortunately haven't had the time to really put into it recently and yeah. uh, make it happen. Uh, well, so, and you know, you, you, that's a case where you start small, you get a couple of early successes under your belt, and then you let the momentum build on top of that. So if you can get your home airport, you know, under, uh, under an operating system, and then you kind of use it a little bit, use that to, to build a track record of success, and then things start to click into place. So, yeah, I yeah. think you kind of have to scale your expectations. You know, you don't don't aim for too much too quickly because then you sort of stall out for not having enough resources to kind of, you know, get it there. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I figured having the aircraft is probably a, a prerequisite to really push for this uh, <laughs> charge network, you know. It's a, so once I, once I can actually fly into an airport and – go to the airport manager, the city planner and point at my airplane and say, I'd like to charge that. Uh, that becomes a lot more uh, meaningful than just, uh, you know, random emails. and. Yeah, absolutely. You, 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 uh, you call the local paper and you say, Hey, uh, this is a noteworthy thing. You know, this is the first private uh, electric airplane that's landing at the, the, you know, the Hollister airport or wherever you're going. And you have them just come out there, take some photos and all that. You invite the FBO or the airport manager to do it. And then you say, and I'm looking forward to establishing a network of these things on airports like this. And these guys are always interested in promoting aviation safety and access and blah, blah, blah. And then that guy, you know, you're not, you're not putting him on the spot. You just say that I would like to do this. He turns around and pitches this successful news article to the uh, the airport board or to the city council, and suddenly things start happening. 
And again, yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't happen as a concept. But when you're sitting there on the ramp with your electric airplane and uh, the press is there snapping photos, things will start happening. Yeah, I did a uh, cross country. You know, is only a hundred miles, but we call it a cross country flight with the uh, ultralight, and we stopped at uh, four airports basically. So uh, uh, Pine Mountain Lake, uh, Gustine, Turlock, and I flew to a. a, a uh, yeah, to the, the from Watsonville to the destination, which is Pine Mountain Lake. Uh, we actually did a little presentation for the EAA. So it took us like four, almost five hours, I think. And my buddy flew his mall and lugged my 50 pound fast charger uh, for me. So not exactly a, a practical way to go. Um, but, you know, it was fun. And we went you know, 100 miles each way. Um, saw a lot of nice country and kind of proved that um, you know, electric does work, and we we found 220 available at every airport. I mean, you know, airports sort of by definition have to have a decent amount of power if they have you know fueling stations and light runway lights and things. Um, so, uh, and every, everyone we talked to was super excited about, it, super you know into it. So I, I have no doubts that uh, you know once I'm flying this thing and I can redirect my efforts a little bit from you know building in the aircraft into uh, pushing the, the charge network. Uh, I'll have yeah. a, a decent full area set up. Now the charge network, is this the type of thing that, you know, if you had something that was suitable for a Tesla or something like that, that you would use the same type of infrastructure or is it pretty unique to your setup? So this is a great question. And I think something that, you know, I don't want it to get bogged down in like bureaucracy and analysis paralysis kind of a thing. Um, but basically, I think that there's there's two or maybe even three sort of paths that need to be chosen. And so um, I actually wrote a paper about it, too. I'm happy to to share. I, wrote, I did a, a presentation for um, Sustainable Aviation Symposium last last year. Uh-huh. Um, and basically, there's, there's a so my, my step one, I would suggest uh, for for airports is just to provide an outlet, a 1450 outlet that gives 10 kilowatts. Um, and is the most democratic, you know, open network. That way, anybody can bring any aircraft they want as long as they bring their own charger, right? They can plug into it and they can use it. Um, uh, step two, I would suggest, would be a J1772 type plug, which is the most prolific uh, AC charging standard. And, you know, there's more of those in the U.S. and whatever, uh, um, not necessarily worldwide, but at least here in the U.S. Um, and uh, again, like if you're going to do a zero motorcycles-based conversion, or uh, you know have an AC type charger, um, you can you can use that, uh, and they're relatively cheap. You know, five hundred bucks or something for a for a, a standard J1772 type charger. The very best solution is a DC charger because then you're not having to lug the weight of a AC charger around on your aircraft. Uh, and additionally, you can charge it, you know, way higher rates. The conundrum is that almost all DC chargers are high voltage. Um, so for example, there is no DC fast charge option for zero motorcycles or, you know, essentially anything under 200 volts, which I think is a bit counter to home building, ultralights, self-launch sailplanes, et cetera, because uh, low cost, um, 
systems, of which I'm actually designing for sale a uh, ultralight, a low voltage ultralight uh, kit. Um, you know, basically just the cost is more or less uh, linear with like voltage. <laughs> so higher voltage technically is better, but it just gets more expensive and you don't really need it for you know, low power systems. 20 kilowatt systems uh, couldn't be 100 volts. You know, they don't need to be 200 volts or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so as much as I would love to promote just purely like a DC only type of option, again, because you don't have to carry your own charger, um, uh, et cetera, I just don't think it's going to work for the sort of DIY you know, home builder, you know, conversion folks. Right. Um, yeah. That said, I do, you know, I, I could see, you know, either doing it in stages or in parallel. You know, I think, I think we should install a 1450 plug right next to the J 1772. And then the DC option really needs to be sort of in collaboration with whoever's actually building the aircraft. Right. I mean, there's no point in rolling out a charge network that nobody builds an aircraft that it works with and vice versa um so there is a charge standard that's based off of um chatamo or i guess it's not chatamo anymore but it's called gb2 or gbt2 um which is going to be the new worldwide high power charge standard and basically it's got a very wide range it's an open charge um protocol standard um uh and the later versions of it will do like megawatt charging, uh, you know, 1500 volts at, at a thousand at 900 amps or something. Um, uh, and that's, I believe what Pipistrel is settling on. And I believe what by aerospace guys are settling on. Um, and so basically for, for high voltage, you know, whatever Pipistrel and by, um, sort of settle on. And I really hope that they decide to work together and support the, the same, uh, standard and don't don't you know fracture the the space um then uh, then that will be great um and i just hope that uh i've put, i've given some input into the i can't remember the standards body that's pushing this uh right now but i gave some input that if they could support down to you know 60 volts or something um right. it would be awesome because then we can do ultralights and and you know small small system uh, dc charging but i think all all of that is, you know, easily years, maybe, you know, I mean, I hope not, not a decade, but, you know, could it, it has to go hand in hand again with actual aircraft manufacturers. Yeah, you're right. No one's going to invest in charge stations when there are no electric vehicles using charge stations. But you kind of have to have a game plan. So when the first ones do show up, you at least have a, a roadmap to follow to, to get them up and running. Yeah. So, again, for, for me, just a, a 1450 plug, you know, just a socket that is available for use, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, provided by the airport for free or maybe we can get the EAA or FAA or CARB or, you know, some federal entity to, to pitch in a little bit of money, but it's, it's going to be essentially negligible, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine for the next three, five years that, you know, somebody charging their airplane at an airport would, would even make a dent in any kind of, you know, electric cost or, or yeah. whatever. And a lot of airports, they just, you know, the the demand for electrical power is relatively minor and relatively consistent. And so they just sort of, you know, aggregate the cost of electricity and they just kind of divide that into the cost of leasing a hangar. You don't necessarily have a meter that you pay by the kilowatt hour. It just kind of factors into your rate so that they break even at the end of the month. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, I guess we were talking a lot about charge network. I'll, I'll just mention a few things kind of back to the uh, electric airplane. So the, the really cool thing, um, like I, you know, I tell people when I go to fly my Eagle and again, the Eagle has the same power plant that I'm putting in the Xenos, except for the motors a little bigger. Um, it's actually not even physically larger. It just has higher temperature magnets. Um, so that you can run the motor hotter, which means you can push more power through it. Um, and the motor controller is like two inches longer. So the difference between the system that's in my ultralight and the system that goes in the Xenos is the controller is two inches longer and weighs two pounds more and is otherwise essentially identical um, for like a 30% increase in power, right? I mean, pretty, pretty sweet. Um, so a couple of things to, to touch on. Um, so I'm going to assume that you, like many people, kind of the first thing you think of when you go to fly your, your airplane is, you know, do I have money for gas, right? You, you always kind of do the mental equation of, you know, uh, uh, and so when you go to fly the electric, the thing is you, you put all the money into it up front, and then the more you fly it, the cheaper per hour it gets. Right. Um, so like you said, uh, you know, my, my hangar that I charge from, they don't charge any extra for, for that. So it's, it's literally flying is free at this point, you know, with the ultralight. I mean, outside, you know, and when I have the other, the Sonax, you know, it'll be insurance and whatever, but it'll still be very, very cheap. And the bottom line is it works out to, you know, if you assume that you're going to put say a thousand hours on the system in less than 10 years um, and, you know, you, you kind of do the numbers, it, it works out to about like a quarter the cost um, in terms of the, uh, uh, gas and uh, service so probably your sonics or you know a small aircraft in general are in the neighborhood of 40 bucks an hour when you work on you know amortize the power plant and all the main service and maintenance and everything uh you know electric aircraft can be like 10 bucks an hour mm -hmm. yeah somebody had said think of it like pre-purchasing all your fuel at the upfront side you know right. i think that's a good way of looking at it the only thing that concerns me is all that is based on on the assumption that you're going to get the life out of the battery that you think you are. And a concern that I have, you know, I fly model airplanes, most of which are electric. And there, there's never any guarantee that pack is going to get a thousand cycles like they say it will. You, you know, it may, it may go a long time or it may have a shorter life due to a, a variety of factors. So that's kind of the thing that I worry about. Yeah, that, that's a great point and is why I'm a big advocate of the zero motorcycle system and i guess uh it's i probably haven't mentioned but i was the first employee of zero motorcycles uh, so basically founding team member i ran r d for zero for seven years so you kind of so have I an inside view of that. yeah i i helped you you know invent slash develop this whole system you know yeah. so um and this same uh electric architecture has been uh sold since 2013 so seven years old now um and it's it's been slightly improved, you know, the, the the cell chemistry. So it's the same cell manufacturer. They just have improved the cell over time. Zero has improved the motor um, topology a little bit. But but essentially, the, the you can literally upgrade a 2013 to a 2020 right now. You can buy the parts, you know, from a dealer and, and there's an upgrade path. Um, and uh, there are people, so you can look, right? This, this, is, this is why I'm a huge advocate of this system, is that there are probably, you know, north of 10 thousand bikes on the road um they have an extremely good safety record you know in terms of any sort of like fires or you know uh, quits while running type of conditions 
um, and they have a uh, phenomenal battery life. There are people with, you know, 100,000 miles on their bikes. Um, so uh, I believe, you know, both from my inside knowledge as well as you can just do the research and, you know, you can go on online on zeromotorcycleforum.com and say, hey, you know, who's got most miles or whatever. And you'll see that there's people that have, you know, uh, whatever, 100,000 miles, which is probably equivalent to over 1,000 hours, right? I mean, that's got to be close to 2,000 hours of operation or so. Yeah, the, the data is what really kind of proves it out. You know, a right. manufacturer can make claims about how great it is, but until you see the data that says, in real life, this is what we're achieving, it's yeah. just a bunch of marketing hype. So it's good to see that, you know, that data is out there. Exactly. And the, the Zero system is definitely a little heavier, you know, than, than it may be has to be for pure aviation use. I mean, the zero motorcycle is literally designed that you can drive it into the ocean, you know? I mean, it, it, and salt water is death for electronics. Um, and so the, the battery cells are fully potted, the motor is sealed. Um, the whole design ethos with zero was, uh, you know, simple. So no liquid cooling, cooling, you know, everything is just passively air cooled and sealed and simple and reliable, which, um, so there are, you know, potentially areas of improvement for aviation use, but I think in terms of pure proven safety and track record, there, there is no better established system. Um, and in terms of, you know, yeah, like proven, I mean, I, I just, again, from my experience at zero, I don't think anybody can claim to say we have a rock solid, reliable, proven battery until they've made thousands of them. Um, and there is no aviation, you know, electric aviation manufacturer who's made thousands of batteries yet. So they just haven't yet found all the ways in which that battery or other components can fail. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, Gabe. I was talking about this exact same concept. I was in a store talking with a guy about electric bicycles. And he was saying, oh, they, they have developed this this technology to where it is so reliable, you're going to buy this $2,000 bike, and it's going to last you for the next 40 years. This cell is going to be around forever. And I think, well, okay, that sounds really good. When did you start delivering those to customers? Oh, this is, you know, this is the second year we've been making them. So you have one year worth of customer feedback, and you're making a, a, a strong prediction that they're going to be around forever. You know, that that just kind of stinks of marketing hype. Again, it goes back to show me the data where I can see for myself. Yeah. And, and also to be clear, I mean, I, I started at zero in 2007. Um, and we went literally the very, it wasn't even zero when I started. It was electric across. And we started with lead acid batteries and brushed motors, right? And we went through the whole evolution of, uh, you know, the first uh, lithium ion cells that were sort of viable commercially. Um, you know, through brushless motors, uh, through designing our own stuff. Um, you know, we, we kind of expected that, hey, we'll just be able to buy a battery pack from Panasonic or whatever. And like, nope, like they were not, A, they weren't even willing to talk to us, right? Some no-name glorified mountain electric mountain bike manufacturer out of Santa Cruz, right? They, they didn't want to give us the time of day. Uh, and B, we were able to design better, more energy power dense stuff than anything that we could get from anyone else. Um, so we ended up just literally did our own batteries, did our own motors. Um, Ferrisys, who's the cell manufacturer now, I, I can't sing their praises enough. I mean, they put a ton of uh, time and energy um, into helping us 
you know, col col collaboratively, we developed a battery, right? So they, they make the cells, they made fantastic cells, but they didn't offer a complete battery. So we sort of worked together over the course of about a year to develop this bomb proof uh, uh, battery uh, architecture. And since 2013 to now, like I said, it's it's evolved a little bit, but it's 98% the same and, and just you know, they've improved the cell chemistry and Zero's improved a little bit of their, uh, you know, fabrication processes and things, but, but by and large, it's the same, but that, I guess what I was getting at is even though you go, well, from there to now is only seven years. Well, there was another seven years before that of learnings that went into the development of that pack. Right. So it's right. really a 14 year sort of knowledge base now, you know, that, that all of that stuff is, is predicated on. So again, I I am not aware of a single better uh, proven system in the world at all. Um, mm. And uh, you know, I'm now the yeah. cell manufacturer. I missed who you said it was, but but what else do they supply cells to? Anything that we would recognize as a big yeah. brand? Yeah. Um, so it's it's the company's Ferrisys Energy, um, and they were you know not very well known um, when we found them um but they they're a fantastic company they do you know full automated clean room assembly they do uh you know mold they just built huge new factories and they just got they're actually in the news as of a few months ago they just got picked by um oh man now of course my brain is uh i'm, I'm having a senior moment one of the major automotive manufacturers here i'll google it really quick um Daimler. So Daimler just selected them as their cell manufacturer. Mm. So, you know, they're, okay. they're a big boy now. They're right up there with, with LG and Panasonic, you know, they're, yeah. uh, and I have some, you know, great friends uh, that, you know, worked with them or still work with them. And um, you know, that I'm a big believer in that again, um, you know, you'll see this kind of keep it simple um, ethos in, in the whole design thing. So, the zero motorcycle battery is a pouch cell based. So you basically just have as many cells as you need to get to the voltage. And then you size the cells that you need to get to the capacity. And uh, they don't have any history of uh, going into thermal runaway and melting down? No, no. So it's what you would. So if you're an RC guy, you know about C rate and, um, you know, what, what you would call a power cell versus an energy cell. Mm -hmm. So, for example, what's in a Tesla is... Um, an 18650 or you know the newer ones are are now uh the 27600s or whatever they are um and those are uh considered to be roughly something like a 2c cell right they're not a high c rate cell if you abuse them uh they get hot they waste all their energy and you do damage to them right right and they don't you don't get the cycle life out of them if you're if you're hammering them uh the zero motorcycle cells are an honest uh, you know, I, I say they're an honest 4C cell, which most people would call like a 10C cell, you know, an RC, right? So you can straight off the fact, I mean, that when I was at zero, the end of the assembly line test for a battery was a 15 minute dump, you know, mm. absolutely discharge it, you know, and that's no active cooling or anything. It, it The C rate is, is good enough. The internal resistance is low enough that, the thermal mass, you know, will soak up all of the heat that it generates. So basically from normal ambient, you know, human acceptable conditions, which is sort of like the same thing with a motorcycle, right? So 
Um, we didn't do active cooling because the idea that people would be riding their bikes in minus 20 or, you know, 110 type of temperatures. It's just that's that's a vanishingly slim corner case in the motorcycle world. Um, and I think similar for, you know, like ultralights and small aircraft, you know, people basically if you as a person are comfortable with the environment, the battery is going to be comfortable with the environment. Um, and the, the only place that I've ever experienced any issue with the battery uh, thermaline is in rapid charge discharge cycles. So, you know, the battery doesn't shed heat super fast. Um, right. Right. Uh, so if you if you run it charge it run it charge it you get this kind of stair step you know thermal profile and, and eventually it'll it'll tap out um now again a great segue to the zero motorcycles platform um, is the motor controller battery all have thermal profiles like programmed in um and the system doesn't just shut you off you know when you when you hit a a, a limit it just uh, uh tapers the power so um on a reasonably warm day i think it was close to 90 degrees um my system uh i got the battery to its thermal limit and basically it's able to maintain about 15 kilowatts um is, is the you know the sort of power it can maintain and shed the heat which in an ultralight or even in the xenos should still be um you know several hundred feet a minute climb so yeah that's 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 15 out of 45. So you're at 30% power, basically. Of peak power, right? Of peak power, um, yeah. So so in the ultralight, and and actually I expect the, the Eagle and the Xenos, and I'll, I'll explain in a second. I expect the Xenos and the Eagle to have very similar performance, um, you know, profiles in terms of uh, power and climb rate and range and all of that. Um, and so the Eagle uh, uh, cruises at about 8 kilowatts, right, which is not much it's like 12 horsepower um and so 15 kilowatts is actually enough for like 500 feet a minute climb you know which is as good as some airplanes ever get right right <laughs> so right. <laughs> so the absolute minimum is sort of a reasonable nominal value and anytime that you you know are less than that the system's recovering and then you get this these monstrous power bursts i don't know if you've seen the eagle videos but i, I climb at 1200 feet a minute and it's like a 30 degree deck angle or something insane. Like yeah, I did go and look at some of those videos and I was impressed by how smartly it climbs out. Yeah. So I believe the um, Xenos should be pretty similar. I've seen claims of 1,200 feet a minute um, and, you know, we will not have any less power uh, for um, it depends on what temperature you start at. But basically, again, I have data. Um, my Eagle, I can live. Literally from when it's cold, just sitting on the ground, I can hammer full throttle for between one to two minutes, depending on, on ambient. Um, so, you know, if you're in a Xenos and you can climb at 1,200 feet a minute, hey, you're 1,200 feet off the deck at full power before you have to, you know, come back to a, a more nominal power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not concerned. Um, so, yeah, uh, I just wanted to briefly touch. So. And I don't know how long we want to have this conversation, but um, one of the reasons I picked the Xenos and why motor gliders in general are the best candidates for um, electric electrification is um, electric drive systems are not power limited. Uh, you can generate obscene amounts of power. You can pretty much meet or exceed traditional internal combustion engines in terms of power density, um, as you see with the uh, RC stuff, right? I mean, almost nobody operates gas anymore. 
<laughs> you know, electric's just fine. Um, where you lack is is capacity, you know, uh, energy and, and flight duration and range. Um, and this is where motor gliders work really well. So, so what dictates your cruise power uh, requirement is the L over D of the aircraft, the weight of the aircraft, and the sink rate of the aircraft. And so between those three things, you can compute your, your power requirement for, for level flight. Um, and basically, motor gliders, you know, are the best at all of those. Um, so uh, my, my goal, like I said, cruises at eight kilowatts. It has an L over D of uh, 12 to one, um, you know, so uh, basically the, 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 Xenos um, has a very similar cruise speed uh, at best L over D um, and, and has a 24 to 1 advertised uh, L over D. So in theory, um, just on L over D, uh, you're um, about double the, the L over D, which would dic at the same weight would dictate half of the uh, power requirement. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the Xenos probably weighs a bit more than my ultralight. Um, I don't want to go into specific numbers there, but, um, you know, we'll, the, the bottom line is I expect it to cruise at very similar power. Um, if the numbers are all accurate, you know, what, what, um, Sonics has provided the yellow ruby and sync rate, um, it actually could be better than my, than my ultralight. Um, yeah, and, and so, the L over D is going to change based on airspeed. So at a little higher cruise airspeed, you might have a little bit lower L over D just to kind of factor into your performance estimates. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, again, I, I believe they're going to be very analogous. Plus, the uh, Xenos actually has a much better you know uh, uh, glide ratio than my, my uh, goal. So there's video where I took my goal up to uh, a little over 7,000 feet on half a battery um so you know uh in my goal that is only you know 10 miles of uh you know glide range but in a xenos that's like 20 plus you know not plus my goal just the the sync rate's like 500 feet a minute you know it's just not quite into glider territory you know it's a reasonably efficient aircraft but it's right. you know anything probably more than 300 feet a minute sync is just hard to call it a glider you know um so so i think this xenos will will allow me to capture a lot of the uh environmental energy available that i'm just really not able to, to leverage with the uh with the goal yeah no it sounds like um it sounds like the numbers are going to come together and work really nicely yeah i think so there's a great um youtube video or it was a presentation it's on youtube now by greg cole for the sustainable aircraft symposium year before last called doing more with much less where he talks about um uh electrically assisted soaring um and it's fascinating i mean if you're into electric aircraft and you're into soaring it's it's really interesting because it basically shows the incredible performance benefit you can get out of pretty minor amounts of power you know with a modern like a really efficient modern sailplane only needs a kilowatts literally like three to four maybe five kilowatts for level flight um, 
which means that you take something like a zero system, you put it in a, you know, like one of Greg's planes, like a sparrow hawk or whatever, one of those things. Um, and now instead of uh, cross country soaring, you know, you might have averaged a uh, hundred miles an hour before. Well, you can do 150, you know, with a, just putting a few kilowatts into the prop. Mm -hmm. um, so just, yeah. just, it's, it's pretty amazing. And then you get into other really cool stuff like regenerative soaring and the idea that you can land with a full battery and things like this, um, which are actually possible. Um, so it's a really, really neat, fun uh, place to be. And, uh, and I think this package that I'm offering or, you know, so this package I'm, is, uh, I'm starting, I have, you know, an LLC now called flit. Um, and I'm selling initially just the conversion kit. It's basically just the belt drive redrive kit that you bolt onto a, zero motor um and that will be you know anybody who wants to build their own electric sonax or other thing you know of similar sort of size and weight it'll be a great option uh the xenos you know the super efficient platform is what gets you to your you know one hour plus uh, durations and good ranges i think a, a regular sonax or yx would actually be a super fun electric conversion um and you know you can cook right along you know you can do a 100 mile an hour cruise or whatever it's just you're only going to do it for 45 minutes or something so you know if you have a local airport or somewhere you, you want to go it's still going to be a great way to just zip around um but you just don't get the duration out of it but it is really fantastic i mean uh, i don't know if you've been in an electric car if you own an electric car but it's that same sort of <clears throat> experience where you know uh, there's just no maintenance you know like you just never you know you get in it you turn it on man, the gauges are good no errors reported you know done like i i, I taxi my plane out to the to the runway i i don't even do a run-up you know I'll, I'll blip the throttle a few times on the way out but it's like you know all i'm doing in a run-up is burning up my energy um and so it it feels kind of weird uh, when you when you fly a, a normal gas plane something like 50 percent of your checklist items and your sort of mental um, capacity are all occupied by managing this internal combustion engine. Um, and when that goes away, all of a sudden there's just so much less to worry about. And, you know, you can really, uh, I, I argue that it's a more enjoyable experience, you know, you, you especially with like soaring and stuff, <clears throat> you know, you can get down on a ridge, you can go somewhere where you might not go otherwise because you know as soon as you crack that throttle open you you have throttle again um, yeah you have a really good escape path and, and you talked about you know flying uh, rc airplanes and it's the exact same type of parallel when you take a, a gas-powered airplane to the field you have all your support equipment you spend a lot of time just getting set up to go fly and, and doing all the associated stuff you know managing the systems with an electric you, you test the battery voltage you say yep it's good to go you plug it in and away you go and it's effortless and it I think that more than anything else is uh, is responsible for the popularity of electrics in RC airplanes is because they're fairly reliable and they're just so easy and so, I guess, uh, low workload, like you said, low pilot workload. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really hope that this, um, you know, no pun intended, takes off, um, you know, that, that maybe even Sonex um, wants to, you know, sort of support this in some official capacity. Um you know, maybe do a slightly modified airframe with a little bit, you know, more gross weight or something where you could throw in an extra battery. Um, because if you do two of these 14-4 batteries, now you're looking at 
25 kilowatt hours. And now, now you can take something like a Sonics, you know, a normal Sonics and cruise at a hundred miles an hour for an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Um, and that I think puts it into a real, you know, sort of practical, legitimate thing. And you're, you know, it kits, whatever, 25, 30 grand, a donor bike with an extra battery is less than 20. So, you know, you're looking at a, a sub 50 grand or in the neighborhood of 50 grand, you know, system, um, which I think is pretty comparable to what you, you know, I mean, it's, if anything, it's only five or something, maybe 10 grand more than you'd spend on the gas equivalent. But then you never have to think about gas for the next 10 years. You don't have to do any service. You don't have to do any maintenance. It's safer. It's more reliable. Um, I really think that the, you know, I mean, we need more data to prove it out, obviously, uh, just empirical. But I, I really think that um, electric is going to prove to be massively safer than than um, than gas. And I think that that's another sort of underappreciated aspect. You know, I mean, a significant number of accidents and fatalities. These are internal combustion engine related, you know, anything from running out of fuel uh, to, you know, whatever the, the myriad other, you know, ways that, that systems fail. Um, yeah, I think the potential is there. And like you say, it's going to take time to, to refine it and prove it out. Um, I think that that's something that's just going to have to grow. You know, going back to electric airplanes, you know, we still have a fair amount of power system related issues just for whatever reason, cells that die. Uh, wiring problems, stuff like that. So there's still going to be some level of events that are traced to a loss of power. But I think the potential is clearly there. The potential for less problems is definitely a major attractant. Yeah. Yeah. The electric, I mean, again, using a, a, a I mean, I, I, I would love it if some, you know, um, if the funding was there to develop a, you know, bespoke, you know, uh, system very similar to a you know a zero system but purely for aviation use um in the meantime i still think that that's the the best um possible just sort of off the shelf thing and um and i would argue it's at least more proven i, I don't know if i want to say it's better but i'll say it's at least more proven than any other system in any other electric aircraft right i mean i know that there's a lot of people have spent a lot of money developing things um and I hate to say it, but um, I mean, if you look, I'd, I'd say every well-funded electric aircraft uh, company uh, has had incidents, right? Um, so I'm not going to name them. You can do the research and, you know, um, and it's all just sort of learning stuff. You know, I mean, a, a lot of it's just been, you know, I mean, on the ground, right? Like just charging or, or service type stuff. Um, you know, zero, you know, we got out of that phase like a decade ago. <laughs> you know, so right, right. Um, so I think it's a fantastic um, solid platform, and I, I mean, I hear what you're saying about there being potential, but I think honestly, the the zero system, um, as I'm like, I'm putting the zero system in my Xenos. I literally installed it the first time last week, and I don't even have to cut a cable; it just bolts in. Yeah. So all the harness stays intact, all everything stays intact, and I I have a an extremely high. Uh, confidence in, in that system. So Gabe, d describe that in a little more detail. You said a donor bike and then you transplant. And of course you need this new mount and, and redrive, but just kind of walk the dog. If somebody wanted to follow your pattern that you're laying down, what would they do? Yeah. So, um, uh, buy a bike used or new, you know, based on your budget and requirements. <laughs> um, there's a few different zero bikes and models 
cables and powers and batteries and whatever. Um, honestly, I think if you're doing anything north of a ultralight, I would just recommend what they call the SR, uh, a model year 18 or later SR, which gets to the biggest battery and the biggest latest motor and, and controller. And, you know, you can try to scrounge a few thousand bucks by going with with what they call the S, which has the 45 kilowatt system instead of the 60 kilowatt system. Um, but I mean, it's essentially free extra power, right? Which uh, is basically safety margin, um, you know, for the, for the expense of a few pounds. So anyway. And what should the budget be for um, an 18 model SR donor bike? Um, they're in the neighborhood of 10 grand. So okay. you can find them wrecked. Uh, for under five, depending on how wrecked they are, and you may or may it may or may not work, um, and, and zero may or may not support you um, on it. You know, if it's a if it's a wrecked bike and you didn't buy it from a dealer, um, it's actually very difficult to get parts sometimes. So I, I would advise people against expecting to be able to just call, call up zero and get parts, uh, especially if they're aware that it's for an aircraft. They like they they vehemently oppose any. Uh, aircraft applications um so um you know but but you can buy bikes <laughs> you know? yeah you want to have the data tag on the bike so you say yeah this is yeah. the serial number i need parts for it yeah so this is a, you know a time-honored way of getting power plants for aircraft right i mean motorcycle and aircraft engines have been used yeah. in aircraft for a, a long time well, okay so now you have the donor so, bike then what do you yeah. do so you get the bike um i would highly recommend that you just buy the redrive unit from from me i just uh me and a friend have have engineered the system. Uh, we, you know, did all the design studies on the bearings for the prop loads and the belt. We actually use a bigger belt than the stock zero uh, belt, um, which is actually totally fine. It's just that people look at it and they go, "That belt looks really skinny." And after the thousandth time of hearing that, you just say, "Okay, fine, we're going to put a bigger belt on it." Um, so it's got a bigger belt um, and uh, basically that kit, um, is going to be about two grand, which I think a lot of people think is expensive, but it's got custom machine sprockets, custom broached sprocket, uh, welded parts. And, you know, it, it's just, it's engineered to handle all the, all the stuff and do it reliably. Um, uh, so you need the redrive unit, you need a bike. Um, and then literally the conversion is like a weekend project. It's, it's essentially trivial. You, you pull the electric guts out of the bike, probably take you a day, and then you put the bolt, the redrive unit to the motor, change out the sprockets, and attach your propeller probably another day. Um, and then beyond that, you know, depending on your, your application, you need some way to mount the motor. So you'll have to come up with a, you know, some sort of welded structure conversion, depending on, <clears throat> you know, what you're doing. If you're doing in a Sonex, I'm happy to share, um, you know, what I've done. Um, I think it's a pretty, pretty good way to go. Um, uh, if you're doing something else, you'll need something else. And then um, depending, you know, again, kind of where the motor battery controller, if you have them all packed tightly together, like I have, um, the harness is long enough to just work. Uh, if you for center of gravity or packaging reasons need to put the battery and the motor, you know, far away, then you might have to stretch some cables, which basically just means, you know, chop them and solder in new length or create new, new cable. Um, you know, uh, new 
throttle. So same thing. I, I can provide throttles or you can source your own, you know, haul type throttle, um, you know, lever throttle instead of, you know, motorcycle style throttle. Um, you probably want to use the existing zero dash. That's what I'm doing. Just take the motorcycle dash and I'm literally just bolting it on top of my, uh, you know, existing dash area. And what does that get you? Uh, that gets you all the normal, you know, motorcycle readout um, data, which honestly isn't super applicable, but it, but it does give you temperatures and warnings and motor RPM. Um, you know, uh, the speed will obviously, <laughs> you know, it's it's just based on wheel speed, which when you're in an aircraft is not the same. Um, but it gets you a state of charge and the zero um, motorcycle state of charge algorithm is well proven. Uh and yeah, temperatures and things. Uh, also, the another you know, I keep talking about how cool Zero is. Uh, they have a really great um, app, so you can actually look at your motor temp, battery temp, controller temp, uh, power, current, all the you know, uh, cell balance. You know, all of your sort of vital stats are easily available uh, in the application. Uh, so if you have your iPad or whatever on your dash, you can just run it. Um, in my ultralight, I. I run it on my phone and I have the zero app and my like, uh, you know, uh, uh, flight app and I'll just swipe between them if I'm, I want to look at something, but, but the dash is nice just cause it's hardwired, you know, it's not Bluetooth. It's, you know, it'll, it'll give you everything you need to operate safely. Um, you know, without any potential for, you know, wireless failure or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's, that's the thing about electric. It's sort of like astoundingly trivial. I mean, con converting, you know, after you have the welded sort of mechanical structure part figured out, um, if you buy the a bike, you buy the, um, the redrive kit, it's like a week or two week sort of project. It's just not that much to do. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite straightforward. Um, donor bike, you know, will get you, you know, basically from from uh, a wrecked bike to a new bike, your your range is something like five to fifteen grand. Um, again, reasons to go with zero. You can get things like fast chargers, auxiliary chargers, uh, extra batteries, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you can put turn signals on your airplane. Wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it, I mean, I, I feel like I'm like forgetting something, but um, yeah, but I mean, even even using those numbers, you know, say fifteen at the top of the line for the bike, fifteen for the bike, two for the the redrive, and another, you know, two thousand for motor mount and all the associated stuff. You're still under the price of a new Jabru at twenty thousand, right? So you know, it's very comparable uh, magnitude of, of dollars you're spending. Yeah, and you know, I. I I'll put my reputation on the line, right? I guarantee you, you will get a thousand hours and still be, you know, in the neighborhood of 90% SO, you know, uh, uh, sell whatever. And, and there are people with approaching 2000 hours, uh, yeah. uh, on their batteries. And yes, you lose capacity over time. And, you know, at some point you have to decide, okay, it's not working, it's, but it's not like it just stops working at some point, you know, it just very slowly degrades. And if you're smart about it, like, you know, don't leave your battery fully charged when you're not going to use it. Don't charge it 100% if you're not going to use 100%. Don't run it to 0% if you can avoid it. You can really stretch, you know, the 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 the, the site. And basically what ends up being the, the majority of the, 
the, the limiting factor is what you call calendar aging. So, you know, if you just put a battery on a shelf for 10 years, it, it degrades, right? Um, so uh, I, I would argue that, you know, basically as much as any normal person flies, you know, a thousand hours or maybe 2000 hours, you're, you're basically looking at something in the neighborhood of a 10 year, you know, power plant where you just won't even have to think about it. You'll have to maybe change the belt. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to say a thousand hour uh, service interval on the belt just to be safe. But, you know, our, our, we, we did the calcs on the bearings and the belt and they're both essentially infinite. Uh, the, it's been so insanely over-engineered that it's, it's, uh, you know, tens of thousands of hours is the expected lifetime on those. Yeah. Um, and so even if you want to be safe and you say, okay, every 10 years I replace the bearings or we'll say every thousand hours, however long that takes you to get there, you, you replace the bearings and the belt, you know, that's $200 in parts or less every whatever, five years or something. Yeah. Um, and fairly easy, you know, again, like a, a weekend end project you know not not a your airplane's down for a month while you're doing compression testing and swapping you know doing oil changes and oil analysis and all of that stuff um and then the final the icing on the cake of all of this is um so let's let's say you started this in 2013 well the the zero pack in 2013 was what they called the 11.1 so real honest usable capacity of something like nine nine and a half kilowatt hours um, now they're up to, and it's literally bolt for bolt, plug for plug compatible. Now they're up to the, what they call the 14.4, about 12 and a half, maybe 13 kilowatt hours, but you know, something like a 30% improvement, um, in, you know, seven years. Well, yeah. from, if you go from 13 to 18, it was only five years. So maybe there's another leap. Hopefully there's another leap coming up in a year or something. Um, but that means in five years, you know, if you fly a couple hundred hours a year in five years, yeah, maybe your battery's down 10%. If, you know, assuming zero is still around, assuming, you know, the technology continues at the same rate, there should be something like a ZF-18 battery available, which would be like 15 kilowatt hours of capacity. So now your, you know, your Xenos or, or my Xenos as an example, instead of an hour and a half, uh, if I replace that battery in five years from now, I'll be getting two hours out of it yeah. and replacing the battery is four bolts and one plug. Yeah. Uh, it, it's all very compelling. I mean, you really kind of do a good job of breaking out the, 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 the positive things that are achievable using this approach. I like it. Yeah. You know, I've been saying that a Xenos was high on my list for future airplanes. So maybe it's just climbed up another peg. <laughs> yeah. I'm really <laughs> looking for, you know, I haven't flown in one. I, I I literally bought one sight unseen from the East Coast, paid a pretty penny to get it shipped out. Uh -huh. um, but I am, you know, I wanted to get something flying soon. You know, I didn't want to spend the next five years building an airplane. I wanted to, you know, um, so I got one that was, you know, reasonably far down the down the path. And, you know, I've, uh, uh, you know, I've made some good progress on it. I got the donor bike um, and I'm, I'm hoping to be flying this thing in this summer. No, I mean, this, uh, you know, work and, and, you know, unfortunately COVID thing are, are throwing wrenches into, uh, you know, my, my own pursuit of my own personal projects here, but, uh, um, uh, well, yeah, next time I'm in Sacramento, I'm going to have to, uh, take a little detour and, and come visit you and see this in person. Oh you, yeah, you absolutely should. Um, 
I expect to be spinning the propeller on this aircraft uh, in about two weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, you know, there's still, I got to finish the dashboard. I got to install the transponder and the radio. And I got to, I haven't even put the wings on the fuselage, you know, since I've had it. Um, uh -huh. So I'm sure there'll be some, some rigging and things. And I haven't done the canopy, which is actually something I want to bug you about just on a uh, personal uh, level because I've never actually seen uh, well I shouldn't say that but I, I was at the Sonics factory but I didn't really know what to be looking at when I was there yeah I really yeah, like we can talk to look that. at a real Sonics uh, knowing what I know now and, and make sure that I do the canopy right um, but uh, but it's not far I mean I, I think somebody who knew what they were doing I'll bet in terms of just sort of sheer airframe uh electronics were, were like 100 hours or something it's it's, mm, yeah. it's not too much left well if you had uh, an aero v and you were going to pull the aero v off and you were going to re-engine it with the jabiru you know one air-cooled engine to another air-cooled engine you know you're still looking at anywhere from two or three weeks if you really know what you're doing and you haul butt on it to you know months and months of you know re-engining work um it sounds like converting it, pulling the AeroV off or the Jabru off and putting an electric system on there would be no more taxing than, than one of those. Yeah. I mean, uh, argue, the most difficult thing that I've had, it was getting the gas tank out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which it magically just squeezes out if you take off the uh, joy, uh, the, the control sticks. So if you, if you yeah. take the control stick off and take the dash all apart and take it, you, you can just kind of wedge it out um and i mean what i hope either i offer or sonics offers or i'm happy to work with someone and just you know just to get it done right i'm not trying to make any money on this really other than just get it going um is uh you know a, a, a turnkey uh conversion uh, uh motor mount landing gear you know assembly yeah because yeah. it's just those eight bolts that hold it to the fuselage so it's like yeah in theory you could you know, if if I or somebody you know works and Sonics sells a welded assembly, uh, the zero or the the redrive kit, which I'll sell and buy a donor bike, it could honestly be something like a two week project to take your old stuff off, put the new thing on, and go fly. Yeah, really, that's what it's going to need to really spark interest. Is we we see the same thing with Rotax engines. We've been talking for a long time about. Um, you know, using more Rotax engines in Sonics, you know, they're popular everywhere. Everybody wants to use Rotax, but there has not been a ready to bolt on engine mount solution. Now, Sonics has some pieces and parts that help you get further down the road, but that is the big challenge that each individual builder has to do is I got to start from a collection of parts before I have something I'm ready to bolt up my new Rotax engine onto. As soon as somebody delivers a ready to bolt up mount, with a proven roadmap, that will just explode in popularity. And I think this is the same way. When there is a ready-to-bolt-up engine mount that everything just sort of plugs right into, that's kind of the key that will just shake this whole thing loose. Yeah. Yeah, well, I really hope um, – I mean, I can bring it to market, right? It's just I'm not going to develop anything more refined than what I have until until there's right. some interest, right? So the, the redrive kit is – applicable to essentially any aircraft, right? So, right. So right. I, and the, you know, the interest is, it's always going to be a niche product. And so, you know, you got to balance other things you got going on uh, against sort of extremely small, small demand. Yeah. So I think, you know, what I, what I have now, I think is an awesome 
you know, I think the Xenos is truly the best possible fit uh, out of outside of maybe some of the really expensive uh, glass motor gliders, which, you know, if I had hundreds of thousands of dollars lying around, there are potentially some other platforms I'd look at converting. Um, yeah, well, we talked about that that exact issue. You know, there are some phenomenal options out there in motor gliders, but there is nothing in the low end price range that the Xenos competes against. There just isn't, and so it really is a unique spot in motor gliders. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So yeah, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm Jones, and to get this thing in the air, and I'm actually going to go wrench on it tomorrow. Um, and uh, you know, so I, I have everything sort of. Uh, I did the initial assembly. Um, those are the pictures I posted on the, uh, the forum. Uh, and it's actually coming all apart uh, so that I can um, finish it and paint it and then and then reinstall. And then everything's going back on there permanently. Um, and uh, yeah, that's I'm, I'm basically hoping to get the majority of the mechanical done this weekend. And then uh, the wiring uh, and throttle mount and propeller mount next weekend and should be spinning prop and anger. Uh, yeah. Weekend after next is, is. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it, it's a super cool project. I, I am really glad that you posted those pictures. I want to see more and I definitely want to see as you start getting ready to, to fly it. I, I'm just, I'm very, very intrigued by it. I have to congratulate you on having the, sort of the moxie to just go after it. You know, there is no real roadmap to follow. Maybe you have a little bit more than the next guy having already a flying airplane. But still, I mean, let's not, let's not undersell the magnitude of what you're doing. You know, you're doing something that very few other people have done. And that's just an awesome thing to be able to, to claim. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have a few hundred hours in my electric ultralight now, which I'm guessing puts me near the top of electric flight hours of, uh, you know, pilot i mean there, there's probably some pipistrol guys and whatever that, that are more but not too many yeah <laughs> well very cool very cool um gl glad to help however i can and um let me know if you need anything yeah your your site has already proven quite helpful so uh thank you for that good good okay well thank you so much uh yeah i'll i'll, I'll keep you guys posted and uh you know maybe after we're spinning the prop and make some more progress we do uh an update on on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, shoot some YouTube video and and uh we'll we'll put that up there too. So <laughs> Yeah, we'll do. Okay, awesome Gabe. Thanks and I'll talk to you again soon. We'll talk about that canopy. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye. So I really enjoyed that conversation with Gabe. I think he's on a just a, a wonderful path. I'm super excited to see how it all turns out. And I think that he really has the background, the experience, and the credentials to make this a success. So best wishes to him, and we'll be following his progress closely. All right, well, that wraps this episode up. And as always, you can find the show notes for this episode at sonicsflight.com slash 71. And I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or all those other podcast apps. You can listen to it directly off the webpage at sonicsflight.com. And um, feel free to send us an email with any uh, thoughts and suggestions for future episodes. With that, get out there and enjoy the good weather. It's just really kicking off, I think, for, for most people across the country. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to normal and enjoying some good flying. Thanks, everybody. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you again soon. 
views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Select podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.